Well, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word. Join me once again in Exodus chapter 20. We will continue working our way through this series on the Ten Commandments. We will look this morning at commandment number seven. The message, as you see, is entitled The Sanctity of Marriage. And let me just say to you that when I sent my notes in that are going to appear on the screen, it raised some eyeballs in the office this week. People were a little antsy about how this was going to go. And then here's what Janet, our ministry assistant, said. And I thought, you know what, Janet? I should put you on video and let you say this to the congregation. This is what she said. Well, if anyone is going to talk about these things, it should be the church because we're talking about what God's word says. And I thought, that'll preach. That is a good reminder for us this morning that as we look at this message, this is God's word. And for us, it is what we need to hear. I want to read Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 21. And then this morning, we will zoom in on verse 14 as we look at the seventh commandment. But join me in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear. For God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. 
and that you would open our hearts and our minds, that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. As you're taking notes this morning, as we zoom in on verse 14, you shall not commit adultery, I want you to write down this main idea that will frame our time together as we consider this command from the Lord. It's this truth. Marriage is the God-ordained context where sexual intimacy should be experienced. Now you're going, oh, I see what you're talking about this morning. But here's what God's Word tells us, that marriage is the God-ordained context where sexual intimacy should be experienced. I want to illustrate this for you. It's a way that I heard it when I was a teenager, and I have never forgotten the way Dr. Tony Evans described sexual intimacy within the context of marriage. He said, it's like fire in the fireplace. A fire in the fireplace is a good thing. A fire outside of the fireplace will burn your house down. I've never forgotten that. And it illustrates so perfectly the truth of God's word on this issue. As we prepare to look at the seventh command this morning, I want to remind you of why God gave us the Ten Commandments. We've done this each week. I think it's vital for us to be reminded week after week of this truth, and there are four reasons. The first is that the Ten Commandments reveal for us the character of God. They show us God's standard, God's holiness, God's perfection. Leads us to number two, the Ten Commandments expose our sinfulness. They remind us that we do not measure up to the standard that God has set before us. And so for us, we look and realize that the law of God functions much like a mirror to show us that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. Which leads us to number three, the Ten Commandments drive us, they should, to Jesus who perfectly kept the law of God. Jesus perfectly fulfilled God's standard. That is why he is the only one who can be a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And leads us to number four, when we have repented of our sin, when we have trusted Jesus as our Savior, we've been forgiven, we've been brought into the family of God, God's law functions for us like a guide to righteousness. It says to us, this is what it looks like to love God well. This is what it looks like to love others well. Jesus said that about the Ten Commandments. It shows us what it looks like to love God and to love people. So with that said this morning, let's transition to looking at verse 14. Zoom in this morning on this command, and as we look at it in its immediate context, we're reminded once again that all of these commands are grounded in verse 2 of Exodus chapter 20, where God clearly defines who He is. I am the Lord. And he clearly defines his relationship with these people that he is giving these commands to. I am your God. 
And he reminds them as well that he has delivered them from slavery. And as we've said each week, for us as followers of Jesus, this same thing is true. He is the Lord. He is our Father. He has rescued us from bondage to sin, from slavery to sin. So let's look. Verse 14, the Lord says to his people, you shall not commit adultery. I want you to underline in your Bible or in your notes the word adultery because we have to define what does this word actually mean so that we understand what the Lord is saying to us as his people, to them at this point in time as well. And so here is what the Lord is communicating to his people. Adultery equals sexual activity that violates the covenant of marriage. Sexual activity that violates the covenant of marriage. Now, as we think about that, we're reminded that God created marriage. God defined marriage as between one man, one woman, Genesis 1, Genesis 2. And God says in that context, any type of sexual activity outside of that covenant relationship is adultery. And we'll see that Jesus actually intensifies what he means by sexual activity here in just a little bit as we continue to zoom out and look at all of Scripture. But you may ask, why is the Lord so concerned about this issue for his people? Well, remember, God is preparing them to enter into the promised land that he's going to give to them. Remember, all of these commands are setting the people up so that they can flourish in the land that God is giving to them, so that they could experience his blessing and so that they could be a blessing to the nations that were around them. And so the Lord says to his people, when you have covenanted together in marriage, you are to fulfill that covenant in your life. Because, first and foremost, it is a covenant made before God. We have de-emphasized this in culture today. As if God does not care about the covenant of marriage, and he most certainly does. And the Lord says to his people, recognize that when you are making this marital covenant, you are doing so not just between the two of you, but ultimately between the two of you and me. And then, just further to emphasize, why does God actually care about this? Because of the impact that this has in culture. And so God is saying to his people, remain faithful within the marriage covenant to your spouse because to not do that is going to create havoc in this world in which you live. I said this before when we were talking about parents and children obeying them. The breakdown of the family equals the breakdown of society, and this issue is at the forefront of that as well. Why do we live in a culture that is breaking down? It is tied to the breakdown of families, the breakdown of marriages, and God for his people says, I want you to experience the blessing as you enter into this land. 
I want you to experience my favor as you enter into this land. And so if you want to experience that, if you want to live life as it was intended to be lived, remain faithful to your spouse. So as we think through that, let's take this negative command, you shall not commit adultery, let's think about it in a positive sense. It's this truth, be faithful to the marital covenant you made with your spouse. Be faithful to the marital covenant you made with your spouse. Let's zoom out this morning. Let's ask the question, what does all of Scripture have to say about this command? Well, as we think through that, there's a couple of questions I want us to answer this morning. The first is this, what is the foundation? So before we understand this command, how do we understand the foundation first? What does God, as he's giving this command to his people, what does he ground it in? And you'll see on the screen this morning that it is grounded in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 to 28, and Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25, where God is the one who creates the institution of marriage. And God joins Adam and Eve together in marriage and says to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. God says to them, this is what you are to experience in this marital covenant together. And just so that we can be clear on this, God is very clear around the terms of marriage. One man, one woman, and a lifelong covenant together till death do us part. And in that, those two, God says in Genesis chapter 2, become one flesh, which describes for us, gives us a picture of sexual intimacy within the context of marriage. Let's press it even further this morning. Let's ask a secondary question. Not only what is the foundation for this command, but as we look at scripture, how does this command function? Where do we see the Lord speak specifically about this command as we move forward? Well, There are three terms that are often used when it comes to this idea of sexual immorality, which would include adultery, something scripture talks about. That's the word that's used here. There's another word that's used. It's the word fornication. We'll unpack that here in just a little bit. And then a third word is the word where we get the word pornography from. So those three words are the words when the Bible talks about sexual immorality that it is highlighting. You'll see there on the screen the passages of scripture that relate to each of these. Certainly adultery is something that we understand very readily. It is if you are in a marriage and you were to step out of that marriage, sexual activity outside of that marital covenant would be adultery. The next one you see there, fornication, is a word that we don't use often in our culture, but in the scriptures, that word is used to describe premarital sex. So again, sex outside of the context of marriage, but it is on the front end or on the back end of marriage. And then the third one, and this is where it begins to get a little more intensified, is the word porneia or 
Pornography is where we get that word from. It is any type of sexual activity. Jesus is going to use that word as he explains even more so, not just physical action, but what's going on in our heart as well. As you keep pressing in, you'll see that scripture is very clear about the issue of polygamy. Now, you may be sitting back and you're thinking, hang on, I thought in the Old Testament you actually see polygamy. Well, if you notice, it's never praised in the Old Testament. It's never celebrated. It's just simply described. And so God's plan is one man, one woman for life. And so we see that emphasized in these verses. Scripture is clear as well about the issue of prostitution. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, this is something that's often referenced. You'll see the references there of caution against being seduced by a prostitute. Continuing on, you'll see the issue of homosexuality is also discussed in Genesis 19, Leviticus 18, and then chapter 20, and then again in Romans chapter 1. Again, the Lord is clear that this is sin. Moving forward, bestiality, which Pastor Scott said, I typed that in this week, and I thought, that's not how you spell that. And then I went to Google it, and I thought, that's not good either. (laughs) So IT, just know that, okay? But Exodus chapter 22 and Leviticus 18 and 20 and then Deuteronomy chapter 27, all of those speak as clear as can be about this as well. And then scripture talks about sexual violence as well. That would be rape or pedophilia or sexual abuse outside of marriage or even within marriage. And again, you'll see those verses attached there. So you cannot in any way say that God's word doesn't speak to the issue of sex within the context of marriage and where it is sin outside of the marriage context. God's word is crystal clear on this issue. But I want you to know as well that Jesus actually intensifies this command that we read, you shall not commit adultery. We see this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through verse 30. This is Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount where he will use this phrase often, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And in that, Jesus often is intensifying the commands that they would have heard. They would have been familiar with the command, you shall not commit adultery. But Jesus says to them, you have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Notice in this that Jesus says it's not just the outward actions that the Lord is concerned about, it is also what is going on in the heart. And as we think about that, what we have to recognize and understand is that out of the heart, actions take place. But even if those actions do not take place, Jesus is very clear in Matthew chapter 5 that the heart Even there 
It is sin to look on a woman with lustful intent. Now, ladies, you may think this morning that lets you off the hook. But let me press in even with you as well, because as we think through this, it could be also an emotional connection with someone that is not your spouse to the point that you begin to fantasize about what would it be like to be with that guy and not be with my husband would fall within the same context here as well. And let's ask this last question as we think about what all of Scripture says about this command. What is the danger? That may be what you're thinking. In fact, that is what the culture says to us. Listen, love and let love, it's no big deal. Why be so concerned about this? Why have such strong feelings about what God's word says about this issue. Well, you'll see two passages of scripture this morning to relate to that. The first is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through verse 33. In this passage, Paul talks about the issue of marriage. And Paul actually compares the marriage of a husband and wife to the union of Christ and the church. You say, what's the danger? Why is it such a big deal that we understand this command? Well, it is such a big deal because our marriages reflect the relationship that Christ has with his church. It is ultimately a gospel issue. For us, if we are followers of Jesus, we have to recognize that our marriages, if you are married, are a public display in this culture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so for us, within the context of marriage, not to be faithful with our spouse, what that communicates to the culture is that we value very lightly the covenant of marriage and ultimately very lightly the gospel. Why is it such a big deal for us? Well, that is the first reason. Here's the second one, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. In fact, in this passage, Paul is very clear that the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. You say, why is it such a big deal? Why should we take concern about this in our own lives as followers of Jesus. Well, here's the reason why. Paul is very clear for us as followers of Jesus. If we are sinning in the area of sexual immorality and it goes on in our life unconfessed and not repented of, we need to question our salvation. Why is it such a big deal? Because to continue in sin without experiencing the conviction of God or turning from that sin, Paul says, gives indication in our lives that we do not have a relationship with Jesus after all. So now, let's zoom out one more time. Let's think about this command, you shall not commit adultery, in a contemporary context for us today. This is where it's gonna get very applicational and very maybe personal and uncomfortable. So we just put those caveats out there for you. 
You can take that up with the Lord later, okay? Here's the statement I want to make. We should, as followers of Jesus, aggressively pursue sexual purity in thought and action. If you are a follower of Jesus here this morning, you and I should aggressively pursue sexual purity in thought and in action. Now, you may be sitting here this morning and you're thinking, Pastor, my, those days are long gone. I had a pastor, the first church I served at, he was almost 70 years old. He called all of the staff in one day and he said to us, he said, listen, men, I want you to aggressively pursue sexual purity in your lives. To which we all kind of took a step back for a bit. And he said, I know what you're thinking. I'm almost 70 years old. And this is what he said, but I'm not dead. And none of you in here are dead. So this applies to all of us. As followers of Jesus, we should aggressively pursue sexual purity in thought and action. And here's the good news. Through the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, we can pursue sexual purity in our lives. And so I want to speak this morning to three groups of people, application-driven. The first is those this morning who were here, and if you were honest with me, you would say this morning, Pastor, I am battling temptation in this area in my life. Maybe for you this morning, you're married and you have been pursuing a relationship outside of your marriage relationship. Maybe you are battling, struggling with pornography. Maybe for you, it is an emotional connection that you have with someone that is not your spouse. And you say, Pastor, I am being tempted in this area. I am battling this. Help me understand how to respond and I think this morning, one of the most faithful passages of Scripture that you can go to is Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 through 23. In this passage, we see Joseph in a compromised situation with Potiphar's wife. She was attempting to seduce him, and the Scripture says that Joseph fled from that temptation which means he ran so fast he left his outer coat in the room as she was seeking to seduce him. He aggressively got out of the situation so that he could maintain sexual purity and honor the Lord in his life. And if you are battling temptation, I wanna encourage you this morning, through the power of the Holy Spirit, flee temptation. Run as hard and as fast as you can from that situation or that circumstance. Here's the second group of people here this morning. Those who are deceived. 
You may come in this morning and you call yourself a follower of Jesus and you think in your mind, this is not that big of a deal. I can live however I want out there. I can put my Jesus hat on and come to church and I can live this bifurcated life and it will be okay. And can I remind you this morning that Paul is crystal clear. You cannot do that without repenting of that sin or experiencing the conviction of God in your life and call yourself a follower of Jesus. Do not this morning be deceived in your sin as if it is not a big deal. And then, the third group this morning, the brokenhearted. Those who are sitting right now and you're thinking, I know what I did. I know what's in my past. I know the problems that that has caused. I'm living in the heartbreak and the hurt of that right now. And I want to offer you some encouragement this morning. God forgives those who turn from their sin. God forgives those who turn from their sin. In fact, one of the most beautiful things on the heels of Paul saying, do not be deceived, the sexually immoral will not inherit eternal life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, he says to those there in Corinth, and listen to this, such were some of you, but you've been redeemed, you've been forgiven, you've been saved from your sin. And so this morning, if you are brokenhearted over sexual sin in your life, the Lord offers forgiveness to you. Here's some questions this morning. As we seek to pursue sexual purity in our lives as followers of Jesus, here's question number one. Do I view sexual intimacy as a good gift from the Lord to be experienced within the context of biblical marriage? You see, unfortunately, and I experienced this growing up in church, anytime sex was talked about, it was always in a negative way. And I want you to hear me this morning. God created sex to be enjoyed within the context of biblical marriage. And here's the thing. It is a good, beautiful gift that God has given to married couples. It is not a bad thing at all. Do you view it in that way? Here's question number two. Am I aggressively pursuing sexual purity? Am I fleeing sexual temptation and actively putting up guardrails in my life to remain pure? Parents, can I encourage you with something? Do not under any circumstances give unfettered internet access to your children. 
That is one of the worst things that you can do as a parent. The average child is exposed to pornography in this culture at the age of nine for the first time. Do not think it won't happen with your kid. Put up the guardrails necessary, not only in your own life, but in your kids' lives as well to protect them from what they may see online. And for you, put up the guardrails in your life. Put up the guardrails in your life in relationships with the opposite sex. Put up guardrails in your life as you think about emotional connection with other people. Recognize that God has given you your spouse and that is the person that you are to experience sexual and emotional intimacy with in the context of marriage. Question number three, is there sexual sin? whether thought or deed in my life that needs to be confessed and repented of today. Do not leave this morning deceived as if it's not a big deal. If there is sin in this area of your life, aggressively seek to confess and repent and turn from that sin. Maybe for you, you're married and you need to have a conversation with your spouse on the way home and you this morning are dreading that conversation. Do not be deceived. You need to have that conversation with your spouse. You say, but it may blow things up or it may be the exact thing your marriage needs to bring healing and to bring restoration because right now you are living a lie. Here's the final question. What is one practical way that I can pursue sexual purity this week? One practical way to pursue sexual purity this week. I want to ask you if you would to bow your heads. I want to give you an opportunity before we celebrate communion together to prepare your heart before the Lord. If there's sin that needs to be confessed this morning, I want to encourage you to confess that sin before the Lord now. Do not take communion this morning having not confessed that sin to the Lord. But as you prepare your heart, think through those questions this morning. Think through what it looks like for you to respond in faithfulness to the Lord and his word. Take a few moments with heads bowed, with eyes closed.